Well, good morning, 6-8 Church. Welcome to worship today. I'm so glad that you've joined us. I know that you were probably expecting uh, Jason Gwines to be delivering the sermon today, but guess what? You have got his older and much better looking brother sharing God's word with you today. And I am thrilled to be able to do that with you today. My name is Joe Gwines. And I am the pastor of the Redeemer's Place. We're a brand new church that is starting up here in southwestern Broward County, Florida, out with all the alligators and the snakes and the mosquitoes and the sawgrass. And you can throw a hurricane or two in into the mix there as well. And I am the one that you can absolutely blame for all of Jason's unique proclivities in life. You know... We're living in very, very challenging times, and I think that's probably an understatement. You know, the events of George Floyd and and the riots across our country, they've literally exploded upon the scene. COVID has sent our families and friends and our co-workers and our neighbors running for safety with a devastating impact upon our economy. And the untold cost of depression and anxiety and abuse, uh, we're just now beginning to see how that is coming to light. And then when you throw in all of the general nastiness of a, of a presidential election into the mix, things can get very dicey very, very quick. You know, everywhere you look, you see divisiveness, you see derision, you see disunity. I think it's an extraordinarily scary time for our country. In fact, I don't ever remember in my 61 years of life when there has been a greater need for the church to be unified in the face of these challenges. So today, we're going to talk about unity. It's a key call of God to the church in days like today. It is across all of Scripture. So so we're going to look at that issue today. But before we begin... Uh, Let's pray. Let's ask God uh, to bless our time in His Word. And and then we're going to jump right into God's Word. So let's pray right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the privilege of joining You today for worship and for the chance to study Your Word and and to look at a subject that we know is, is near and dear to Your heart. So Lord, today... Help us to be people that as we evaluate what you have to say to us, uh, that, that we look to become more like Jesus, that, that we're different when we leave than when we came, that, that we are unified first with you, but with our brothers and sisters as well, so that we are a shining example of the gospel to the community in which we live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all his people said, Amen. You know, today, we're going to turn to a text that that really drives home this point of unity uh, that, that basically says it's got to be a reality for us in Christ. So if you want to meditate on just one thing this week, if, if you want to go to sleep through, through the rest of this entire sermon, that's okay with me. But here's what I want you to remember as a takeaway from our time together today. It's this. 
we must be unified in Christ. Let me say that again. You and I, regardless of where we come from, our culture, our ethnicity, our station of life, we must be unified in Christ. In other words, Christ calls us to unity. Division is not the call for the church despite our diversity. Christ overcomes all things to make us one. Therefore, we must live as one. You know, it's such a simple statement, but it has profound implications. It implies that Christ unifies our diversity. It means that we are made one because of of what Christ did on the cross for all of us. It reveals that sins like, like racism and discrimination, they are not part of our calling. Unity under Christ has got to be a hallmark of the church. In fact, it's got to be a hallmark of your church and it's got to be a hallmark of my church. From what I understand, in talking with Jason, praise God that that's a reality in church, in your church. It's the reality in my church. I I praise God for that fact. But there is no wiggle room on this principle. You see, just because a person is different from us, just because they're different ethnically or, or culturally, just because they may possess different resources or skills or abilities, just because they may be at a different station of life or at a different stage of of walk with Jesus, it does not give us a a right uh, to disregard the call for unity. You see, unity is a non-negotiable. And and to see this principle played out in Scripture, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to look at the first 17 verses. But I want you to notice specifically what Paul says in verse 11. He says this, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, But Christ is all and in all. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word today. Now, to get a grasp of what Paul is about to say to us, let's let's understand some context uh, about this letter. You know, the church at Colossae was founded by Epaphras in what is now modern-day Turkey. It was a cosmopolitan city of its day, and it was known for its trade and, and for its diverse ethnic and cultural climate. You know, the Colossian church, it reflected that diversity. It was made up of both Jew and Gentile, each with their own distinctive ethnic and cultural values and norms. And on top of all of that, the the climate of the city was pagan. It was known for its religious diversity, which was a constant threat to the church. So when you take into account the unique differences between the Jews and the Gentiles, as well as the general climate of the city, the church found itself in a place that was fraught with all kinds of pressures to fracture and to divide. But there was one other element that was kind of bubbling under the surface that threatened the Colossian church. 
there were false teachers in their midst that espoused a philosophy that questioned the sufficiency of Jesus. In other words, their whole intent was to divide the church from its source of unity and power. Their whole purpose was to infiltrate the church uh, with, with a false doctrine that would eventually lead to the total destruction of the church and its witness for Jesus in their city. Therefore, Paul's purpose, his whole purpose was to remind the Colossian Christians of the total sufficiency of Jesus and to encourage them to remain unified in the face of all of those challenges. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the environment in which we find ourselves today. I mean, just look at your church. I'm sure your ethnic and cultural diversity is a joy. You probably come from all different walks of life. You've had different life experiences. You are young and old, men and women, educated and uneducated, wealthy and not so wealthy, white collar and blue collar. I bet you there's Republicans and Democrats and independents in your church. Your diversity could go on and on and on. You know, it's simply staggering. And it's the same exact thing with my church. And here's the miracle. Christ has made us one. He has knitted us together. Our diversity is a beautiful tapestry of His love and of His testimony to the world. We should not, we should not take that for granted. It is a powerful testimony of Christ's presence among us. You know, it is his testimony that he is the answer to the world's problems. But look at our culture. The pressure right now to accommodate some societal values and norms that are contrary to the Christian faith, they are more intense than they've ever been. The events of our day have really brought this to, to the forefront, and, and guess what? They, they could be a seed of division in your church and in mine. And if we're not careful, we could fracture, we could divide, we would not remain unified under Christ. We would separate ourselves from our power source, from Christ Himself, and that would destroy our witness to our community. We cannot let that happen if we expect to joyfully and to passionately glorify God as we proclaim the supremacy of Jesus and we edify each other. You see, Paul... He has he has just spent two chapters in his letter describing this theology of the sufficiency of Christ as a guard for the church, and now he's going to turn to application in chapter three. And in the first seventeen verses, Paul is going to give us four keys to our unity, with the first lesson being found in verses 1-4. through Notice what Paul says. He says this, If then 
You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." You know, Paul's words are simply amazing because he he gets right to the nub of the issue when it comes to our unity, and it's this. Our unity with Christ requires a spiritual perspective. Let me say that again. Our unity with Jesus, it requires us to have a spiritual perspective. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, Paul is telling the Colossian Christians, that that what happened to Jesus has a spiritual impact on us. It has spiritually happened to us. In other words, we are spiritually united to Him. The opening phrase, it is notorious in its poor translation, but it actually is better read, since you have been co-raised with Christ. You see, what Paul is telling us is that just as Christ died, guess what? We've died. Just as He was raised, we're raised. Just as He will appear again, we will appear with Him. In other words, the life of Christ in its total fullness has been appropriated to us. We are unified in Him. Therefore, we are to set our minds upon these things. We are to meditate upon these realities. We are to live with these things in mind. We are to seek Christ in His ways. And that implies... We are to love God and to love people. And just as the triune God is unified in His personhood, we are to reflect that unity as a body. You see, just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were unified in their devotion to seeing God's plan fulfilled, we are to be unified to see His kingdom fulfilled on earth through us. But that requires us. That requires us to have a spiritual perspective on our true reality. You know, as a way of application, I want to ask us a question. How many of us are flying around through life without keeping our union with Christ in the forefront Right here in the very front of our brains. How many of us are are viewing life through our own lens without putting on the lens of Christ? Have we ever? Have, have you ever seen um, those pictures where a colorblind person puts on the corrective lenses for the very first time? You know they're always staggered by what they see. But how many of us are are missing? that same type of reality and how would it change our interaction with our world how how about with each other how how about with our spouse or our children how about with the people who, who don't know Jesus you see when we realize the depth of our union with Christ we began to see life through his eyes and that gives us the power It gives us the power to love God and to love people as He did. And guess what? That is going to change our world. That will change your world and that will change my world. So so that spiritual reality, 
it has consequences. And that brings us to our second key point that's found in verses 5 through 10. Listen, listen to what Paul says. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Amen. You know, Paul, he's telling us this key point, that our unity with Christ requires a commitment to godly living. Man, let me say that again. Our unity with Christ requires a commitment to godly living. You know, the logic of that flows from that very first key lesson that we talked about. If you and I are unified with Christ and we enjoy all of His blessings, then we are going to proactively put to death what is earthly in us. We'll put them away from us almost as if the far, as, the, as far as the east is from the west. Instead, you and I, we're going to put on our new self and we're going to renew it daily as we grow in the knowledge of Christ and His ways. You know, recently my mother-in-law passed away and we had the unpleasant task of, of cleaning out her apartment with my brother and sister-in-law. And it was a it was a very very difficult few days. And as we went through the things, we we found things that had been stored in boxes and had been put away in closets, never to be disturbed again. In fact, they had hadn't been opened for years upon years upon years. Uh, they were no longer relevant to her life. They had no impact on her life and, and the reality in which she lived day to day. You know, Paul gives us a list of things that are like those things stored in the boxes in my mother-in-law's closets. They are never, ever, ever to be a part of our lives again. Surely, surely Paul didn't intend for that, that list to be all, incompre- all comprehensive. Because, you know, each one of us deal with unique challenges of sin in our own lives. But we would be wise... To remember what James said in James chapter 1 verses 14 through 15. He says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. You see, when we give in to those type of things that Paul records to the Colossians, we only bring about one thing, sin and death. And death, by the way, it can take many, many forms before it's culminated in physical death. 
And that is not the call of Christ upon the life of Christians. We are called to be salt and light. We are called to live abundantly. We are called to transform our minds. We are called to be ambassadors for Jesus. And the best calling card that we can offer the world is a changed life that is united with Jesus and His ways. It's distinctly different. That type of life is so different from what the world sees every single day, and it makes Jesus attractive to those that we come into contact with. I know that, that it's not fashionable to talk about sin today, but, but guess what? We must. So, so let's ask ourselves a, a few simple questions. You know, Paul says that we have a new life that we are to literally put on. But here's the question. Have we left it hanging like an old suit in our closet that just captures the dust on its shoulders as it lays unused for years upon years? Don't ask me how I know that, but I know that. I mean, have we become so used to a particular sin that it, that it has almost become comfortable in our lives like an old pair of shoes? You know, have we allowed a habit of our conduct to destroy our relationships with others or or with Jesus, thereby, thereby destroying our, our witness for Him to our community. Listen, I, I don't intend to get down into the dumps, but you know, Paul has called us to be unified with Christ, and that means that you and I, we've got to get serious with sin in our lives. You see, we are to be holy just as He is holy, and we only do that when we are unified with Jesus. But now, I want you to listen to verses 12 through 17. He says this, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know, Paul, he... He gives us a lesson in these six verses, and it's really summarized in verse 14, and it's this, that our unity requires a sacrificial love to one another. Let me say that again. Our unity requires a sacrificial love to one another. Did you notice how verse 14 kind of, kind of serves as a pivot point in these verses? Paul says this, he says, above all these put on love. On one hand, he's told us that we've got to be patient, and we've got to forgive, we've got to have compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, which is none other than strength under control. And then on the other hand, we are to possess the peace of Christ, implying that, 
that despite what the world brings our way, we know that He is in control. We have that eternal perspective on life that we've all talked about earlier. He also says that we are to be thankful in all that we do, giving the Lord the praise. You see, since He is in control, we know, we know at our very core that He has a purpose for whatever comes our way. Therefore, we, we can praise Him regardless of what's happening. And Paul goes on to say, for us to let God's Word dwell in us richly. Why is that? Well, it's because God's Word, it, it brings that eternal perspective we need to keep in the forefront of our minds. But did you notice that Paul calls all of us, every single one of us, to teach and admonish each other in light of God's Word? You see, this is not just the responsibility for the pastor. It, it's for every one of us. Why is that? Well, I think it's because when we are unified in Christ, we realize that those who instruct us, they desire the very, very best for us. And that's an eternal perspective, again, on our unity with Christ as it helps to bring life into focus. But notice, the glue that holds this whole thing together is sacrificial love. Doing what is best for the other person without consideration for ourselves. And, and here's the truth. Without the love of Christ in us, we cannot maintain these characteristics in our lives. There, there's no way. You know, when I operate in my own selfishness, uh, I am just the opposite of what Paul preaches. And if you want to find that out, just go and ask my wife. She will tell you because she has seen it up close and personal too many times. And I guess, I, I, I can almost bet that you're in the same boat as well. But here's another reality. When we do not live out sacrificial love for others, we miss the most important opportunity, the most significant opportunities to model Jesus to our world. But now I want you to notice verse 11. Verse 11 is a linchpin verse of the whole book of Colossians. N notice what he says. He says this, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. You see, Paul is teaching us a, a final lesson today, and it's this. Our unity is founded on our oneness in Christ. Let me say that again. Our unity is founded on our oneness in Christ. You know, this verse is simply one of the most important verses in all of the New Testament. Paul is stating that because of Christ, we are all one in Him. Christ overcomes all things, Greek and Jew. You know, our cultural and our ethnic differences, they're irrelevant. Uh, circumcised and uncircumcised. Our religious differences, 
they're of no consequence. The term barbarian, it was used by the Greeks to designate the lower classes of, of, of society, implying that our, our socioeconomic circumstances, they're irrelevant. Slaves were viewed as nothing more than human tools, which is contrasted with the free who enjoyed all the rights and privileges of society. Our role in life is not a consideration in the unity of the church. But you know, probably the most interesting phrase that Paul lists is the word Scythians. Scythians were a nomadic, brutal, warlike people who were notorious for their savagery. They were hated, but they were feared above all. Josephus, that, that great Jewish historian, he said this about the Scythians. He said, the Scythians delight in murdering people and are a little better than wild beasts. You know, today we would say they're, they're like the Hell's Angels or the MS-13 gangs of our society. And, and Paul says that our past is gone when Jesus washes us clean. You see, when people come to Christ, regardless of their circumstances, we are all one. Christ breaks down all racial and cultural and ethnic and religious and socioeconomic barriers to make us into what Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15, one man. So in light of what Paul is saying, and in light of what Christ has done, why would we think that there is any room in the church for racism or classism? There is none. If Christ has made us one, where is the basis for any view that can cause division in the church? There is none. Therefore, in light of what's going on in our society today, you and I, we have got to stand against racism. We've got to stand for justice for all and partiality for none. We must seek the good for all regardless of their station in life. You know, the answer to the problems in our society is found right here. Christ is all and in all. Therefore, guess what? We have to live this reality every single day of our lives. You know, as we get ready to close, in light of the events of today, I, I want to ask us something. You know, as, as we step back and, and we examine our lives is there any belief towards others that is in direct conflict with the unity Christ desires for His church? If so, guess what? Today is the day to repent of it. And if we need to, we need to ask forgiveness of those that we've offended. Or how about this? Are we teaching our children or grandchildren, either directly or indirectly, a view that is derogatory towards another group? If so, how are we going to change that narrative so that the sins of the fathers do not visit upon the third and the fourth generations? And, and finally, what can you do to guard the wonderful unity at 6-8 Church? Your unity in Christ and with each other is a huge blessing. What act of love will, will you do this week 
to continue to foster the love you have for one another, realizing that it is a huge asset for your church. It is an enormous testimony to your community. And with that, I think that all God's people can say, Amen. You know, gang, thank you for worshiping with us. Again, it was my pleasure to bring God's Word with you today. Uh, I, I really consider it an honor and a privilege. And I wish you the best. Uh, go in God's peace. And I pray that this week is the best week that you've had. May you go in His unity. God bless and good day.